this morning is entitled One in the Spirit and what it means. Give you some practical and, and uh, practical ideas of how to understand that. I want to begin with this story. Army historian Brigadier General S.L.A. Marshall, who conducted more than 400 interviews with American infantrymen immediately after combat in both the European and Pacific theaters of World War II. He concluded that the main motivation for a soldier to fight is a sense of psychological unity with other members of his immediate combat unit. Said General Marshall, quote, I hold it to be one of the simplest truths of the war that the thing which enables an infantry soldier to keep going with his weapons is the near presence or presumed presence of a comrade. Faith, patriotism, ideology are surely strong motivators. However, quote, staying with the gang is a good description of cohesion, which is even stronger. There's something about being unified that is so encouraging, so binding, so strong to hold us together, that sense of unity. A nation is blessed when it has that sense of unity, but the converse then is true too. When the, when the nation is in disunity and disarray and chaos, there's nothing worse. There's nothing better than a church that's unified in its love one for another and love for community. And there's nothing worse when it's not. Do you remember God's first commentary about Adam, the first man? The context was that Adam is a lone human in creation. He lives in an unspoiled environment. In other words, he's got everything that we could possibly want. He's, uh, he's in a garden. It's perfect. He's got clean air, clean water. He's got friendly animals to play with. But it's not enough. It's not enough to make Adam happy. So those who think that by cleaning up the environment, whatever that means, that everybody's going to be just doing peachy keen. Adam, is, and, and Adam and Eve are a perfect example. That's not the case. Adam did not feel happy. He did not feel complete. It wasn't enough for him. Here's what, what God's diagnosis is and his first commentary on humanity. Genesis 2.18, And the Lord said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. That word helpmeet, what does that mean? That means someone to fit your human needs for companionship. A husband and a wife complement one another. Where you may be weak, your spouse may be strong. Where you might not have the complete picture, your spouse maybe does. You complement each other, you supplement each other, you encourage one another, you hold up one another. That's what it means to be a helpmate. It's God's desire to bring people together. As he stood on a hillside overlooking Jerusalem, Jesus said these words in Luke 13, 34. He's looking out over the city of Jerusalem. He says, how often would I have gathered thy children together as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings, and you would not. It was Jesus' great capacity and compassion and love. He loved all people. He wanted to bring the people of Jerusalem to him for his protection, for his companionship, for his, for his compassion, for his love, and they wouldn't go. There's nothing worse than being rejected in your attempts at love, amen? Can you imagine how Jesus felt? 
How do you feel when somebody rejects you? The feeling of rejection is an awful thing. Paul encouraged Christians in the book of Hebrews, don't neglect meeting together because you need to encourage one another. Being together with your brothers and sisters in Christ is a source of encouragement. God knows because he designed and built you that if life is to be all he intended it to be, it cannot be lived alone. You cannot live this life alone. Now, that's for the majority of people. Some people can, and some people are very successful with it. The Bible says that God stands beside that. Human beings need and we need each other. We need God and we need each other. The Methodist preacher John Wesley said, the Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. In fact, Psalm 68.6 says, God sets the solitary in families. He never intends it for us to go alone. So you say, well, I don't have a family. All my family is God. We're still here. We're your family. We're your spiritual family. We embrace you. We love you. We want to be confidant to you. We want to be in your encouragers. When you're happy, we're happy. When you're sad, we're sad. When you're, when you're joyful and filled with laughter, we laugh with you. When you cry, we want to cry with you. The church is a family. It's not an institution. It's not an organization. It's an organism. It's alive. And we live it out together. God never intends us to go it alone. The fact is, life is too tough. There's too much pain. There's too much suffering for you to go it alone. Behind every, let me go this way. You lived a charmed life if you've never had sorrow, if you've never had loss, pain, heartache, tears, or fears. But life is like that. It teeters, it balances between joy and sorrow. Or as someone has written, life is a tug of war. It never always goes the way you hope it will. It doesn't go in a straight line. There are always twists and bends. There are always times when we're going like around the New Jersey circles. You're back to where you started and you don't know how you got there. But that's the way it is in life. Life doesn't go in a straight, in a straight line. Someone wrote, life can seem ungrateful and not always kind. It can pull out your heartstrings and it can play with your mind. Life can be blissful and happy and free. You can put beauty in the things that you see. Life can place challenges right at your feet. It can make good of the hardships that you will meet. Life can overwhelm you. It can make your head spin. It can be hurtful. It's not always fair. It can surround you with people who care for you. Life clearly does not. Life clearly offers up its ups and downs. It can bring both smiles and frowns in your life. It teaches us to take the good with the bad. Life is a mixture of happy and sad. So if you've lived more than a month, you know what that's all about. The fact that you're here this morning and the fact that most of you are adults, all of you are adults, the fact that you're here this morning and have lived this long, you know what this says. Life is not always a big smile. And it certainly doesn't want to be a big frown all the time. It's got its ups and downs. If life was all peaches and cream, we still couldn't do it alone. Behind every Christian, there stands another Christian. And it was to that end that Christ connected followers into a spiritual family and called it the church. In your Bibles, Acts chapter 2, verses 41 to 47, 
kind of talk about the beginning of the church. Acts chapter 2, verses 41 to 47. Then they gladly received his word, were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in breaking of bread and prayers. Verse 43. Fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men and every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. All believers, verse 41, 44 says that all the believers were together. They had all things common. Now, of course, the communists say, well, that means communism. It doesn't mean communism. It means that they had things in common. And here are what they had in common. They were united. What united 21st century believers, uh, the first century believers, unites, uh, unites 21st century believers. 2,000 years ago, they were not united around certain things. We're united around the same. John 17 reminds us what, what that was, was and still is. We know the same God and have our faith and trust in his Son, Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. John 14, 16 tells us we have the same Holy Spirit living in us. John 17, 17 tells us we live by the same book of truth, God's Word, the Bible. We have the same God. We have the same Savior. We have the same Holy Spirit. We have the same book. We have all of that in common. And we're not communists. Imagine. The apostles of the time preached the gospel and then by God's inspiration delivered it to us in writing. The Bible contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the hope and joy of believers. His word is our final authority. Not on denomination, not the pastor, not some other book, not some teachings by some man, not some higher authority. This book is our final authority, amen. This is what separates us from other Christian groups who hold other books on the same level as the Bible. In short, we're united and connected to 21st centuries of Christians by the same God, Savior, Holy Spirit, Book of Truth and Binding Love. John 5.12, Jesus said, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. This is the love we read of in 1 Corinthians 13, called the love chapter. It defines charity as putting your love into action. This love is more than a four-letter word. It's how we connect with and care for one another. How do we connect and care for one another? How did Jesus first show his love for us? And the answer is an answer you know. He showed his love for us by giving up his life for you and for me. We express his love by putting our busy schedule, our long, our, our, our busy schedule on, on hold long enough to listen to a broken-hearted friend or loved one as they pour out their pain and tears. In other words, one of the biggest things you hear people about to, saying today is when, they, when somebody needs them, I'm too busy. It's a hard thing to get people to volunteer in the church. You know why? Because people are so busy. 
too busy for this, too busy for that. Well, part of demonstrating our love one for another is we recognize that we're too busy, but we put our busyness on hold in order to come and help someone else. It's the love that pushes us out of our comfort zone to prepare a meal for a shut-in, to do grocery shopping, or just call them for a while and be company. I've told you on other occasions that sometimes I get that sense in my soul that I have to call somebody or see somebody. And more times than not, when I've answered that call to call somebody and see how they're just, how are you doing? Just checking in. They just unload so much that's been on their heart. And the Lord allowed me to be there to tap into that place. How about you? When you feel the presence of the Lord and the call of the Lord to reach out to somebody, do it. That love that Jesus had for us is the, is the love that stands by and encourages someone in, through life's storm to appear, which, which appear on the horizon. Encouragement is oxygen for the soul. Sometimes people just need a word of encouragement. I can't tell you how many times to give somebody a hug and they say, I really needed that. Just to, just to have that sense that somebody cares about me. Just to have that sense that somebody's willing to pray for me. Just to have that sense that somebody cares enough to know what I'm going through. In life's crunch times, we need to be God's angels of encouragement, re 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 reminding the hurting, the lonely, the fearful, the careful, and the downhearted that God's promises found in the Bible are a source of encouragement to keep us going. And the truth is, God is the great encourager. Joshua 1.9 God writes to Joshua, Have I not commanded thee to be strong and of good courage? Be not afraid, neither be dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. Now Joshua just took over. He's running the show for the Israelites. Moses ain't there no more. And what's Joshua doing? Can you imagine being put in a position you think is way over your head? Can you imagine being on the job and they say they, that you've been tagged to do something? and that somebody else did and did such a great job, and now you're being asked to do it, you've got to have butterflies in your stomach. You've got to want to run away. You have that feeling of inadequacy. I'm sure that there are times in your life you felt like you were getting, some, getting into something that was over your head, and you had fear in going through to it. You had apprehension. You had anxiety. New things sometimes can make folks feel that way. This was a bringing it down of low and common denominator. This was something new for Joshua. And he really was apprehensive about it. And he needed a word from the Lord. Now, this word in Joshua 9 can be read by any of us going through a difficult time or a time when we feel we're over our head. We can look at these words and, rec and recognize the fact that God didn't just mean it for Joshua. He meant it for you, too. When you're going through a time where you feel like it's bigger than you, that this is a situation that you can't handle on your own. Be strong, have courage, don't be afraid, don't be discouraged. The Lord is with you wherever you go. If you believe those words, going through such a time as that, I have the sense, because I've felt this, that God really will help me get through this particular moment in my life. And God will help you get through those moments. If you're in one now, 
He's making a promise here to Joshua that he makes to you. He'll get you through this moment. If you, if you look to the future and you don't know what's coming down the pike like none of us do, and that moment comes, you can be prepared with a verse like this to know that God will be there for you. The church must follow in the Father's plan of encouragement. The Apostle Paul was such an encourager to the churches the Holy Spirit gave birth to under his ministry. Such was the case with the church of Thessalonica. In Thessalonica chapter 1, Paul writes to encourage them for their faithful works, turning from idols and their loving deeds in service to Jesus. But listen to the tone of Paul's encouragement. Now remember, Paul's a tough guy. Remember, he had no, no problem, no qualms about being an assassin of Christians. Listen to what he says in 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 and 11. Verse 7, but we, gent but we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherishes her children. That brings out the feminine side, if you will, a softer side. Verse 11, and as ye know, we exhorted and confronted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. He, he's dealing with this church from, from a, the same place a mother might deal with them and the same place a father with, might, be, might, be, might be dealing with them. He's coming to them at a place where he's, he can be soft and he can be hard. Encouragement can be tender and encouragement can be tough. Sometimes you've got to tell people something they don't want to hear. Uh, encouragement can be a hug that says, hang in there, or it can be a shaking that says, don't go there. Sometimes we need to get hit upside the head with a two-by-four. We just aren't listening. We just don't get it. So giving encouragement can go both ways. Encouragement can be a hug that says, that says, um, you have, you have a loving obligation to Christians. In, in, in 2022, some people ask, why should I go to church? What goes on in the life of the church that I could not achieve by simply reading a book or listening to the radio or whatever? The church is about connections. Try hugging a smartphone, a computer. Try pouring out your problems to Oprah when she's on television. It's a local, loving, praying, Bible-believing, Christ-centered church family where everybody knows your name and your story but loves you anyway. It's in the local church where your talents, spiritual giftedness, and your resources can be used in a pure, honest, and accountable way to help people in need. You know, so many of the, of the people asking for money these days over the television and wherever else you hear it, they have no accountability to you. You have no idea where that money is going. So you kind of give it in faith because you feel for the need of, of what's being done there. But in this church, there's, there's accountability that comes with each and every offering. We have our annual church business meeting, and you can see where every nickel and dime that you put in that offering place went. And you can challenge it. And when the budget comes up, you can say, hey, do we really need to do that? That's accountability. We wish our government had that kind of accountability, but it doesn't. I said it doesn't. It's in the church where we learn the why and the what and the how of our biblical faith so we can practice what we believe to the people in our sphere of influence. A closing story. Two words, amen and hallelujah, found in Robert Morgan's book, The Verse, Thomas Nelson Publishers. Amen and Alleluia are words that unite Christians around the world. 
for they are virtually the same in every language, as illustrated by a gripping story that Daniel Christensen tells about a relative, a Romanian soldier in World War II named Anna Gregori. It was 1941. Russian troops had overrun the Romanian region of Bers, Arabia, and entered Moldovia. Anna and his comrades were badly frightened. Bullets whizzed around them. Mortar shells shook the earth. By day, Anna sought relief reading his Bible, but at night he could only crouch close to the earth and recall verses memorized in childhood. One day, during a spray of enemy fire, he was separated from his company. and In panic, he bolted deeper and deeper into the woods until, huddling at the base of a large tree, he fell asleep from exhaustion. The next day, trying to find his comrades, he moved cautiously toward the front, staying in the shadows of the trees, nibbling on a crust of bread, drinking from streams. Hearing the battle closing in, he unslung his rifle, bolted the bo pulled the bolt, and watched for the enemy, his nerves near the breaking point. Twenty yards away, a Russian soldier suddenly appeared. Quote, all my mental rehearsals of bravery served me nothing. I dropped my gun and fell to my knees. I buried my face in my sweating palms and began to pray. While praying, I waited for the cold touch of the Russian's rifle barrel against my head. I felt a slight pressure on my shoulder close, close to my neck. I opened my eyes slowly. There was my enemy kneeling in front of me, his gun lying next to mine among the wildflowers. His eyes were closed in prayer. We did not understand a single word of the other's language, but we could pray. We ended our prayers with two words that need no translation, Alleluia and Amen. Then, after a tearful embrace, we walked quickly to opposite sides of the clearing and disappeared beneath the trees. How do you explain this? Simply, we are one in the Spirit. Amen. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. No matter what other labels we put on ourselves, no matter what other points of differentiation we want to we expand on, the truth is simple, that when you put your faith in Jesus Christ and you're following him, you have brothers and sisters all over the world. The world may call you enemies, but Christ called you my son and my daughter, my children. You are one in the spirit this morning. As you leave this place this morning, remember the people in your sphere of influence need to see that kind of unity in how you live your life, that you are one with Jesus Christ. It's a challenge for you this morning. Let's pray. So this morning, Father God, we pray that we will live up to a challenge of living unified lives, lives of unity, one with another, so that people could see that in Christ we are one. Help us, Father, when we leave this place and people challenge us about our faith, not to be ashamed, not to be timid, not to be intimidated, but to be able to speak up for what we believe in Jesus Christ and what he's done in our life. Now bless each and every person here this morning, the rest of the day, and for their week. In Jesus' name, amen.